Hello. It's my turn now. I get to have the center. Hi, welcome. Um, I'm so happy to be here. I think that a lot of you know who I am, maybe even by periphery, but for those of you who don't, my name is Richard Olds. I am from Houston. I've been a pastor there for the last four years. And for those of you who don't know, I'm actually related to somebody very uh, near and dear to this church. He's uh, very special, been a part of here for a long time. His name is Dylan Campbell. I don't know if y'all have heard of him. He's my brother-in-law. Uh, I'm so, so excited to be able to even be in a ground as hollowed as somewhere where Dylan might lay his feet. Uh, yeah, but I, I really am excited to be here. Carpenter's Way is always so special to me. I grew up in a small town. I don't like big city life, it's not that great, but small town life is awesome, and one thing that I know, being a Christian from a small town, is that small town Christianity can oftentimes not mean that much. I think that we all know what I'm, what I'm saying, and uh, I, I'm so excited by Carpenter's Way, because here's a place where small town Christianity like means something, and people have been changed by the gospel, and I see it moving, and I hear Pat's stories, and I'm uh, sorry, I mean Dylan's stories, uh, about how this place goes. And um, I, so I'm, I really am honored to be here, and I'm really excited for the message that I believe God's given me today. Whenever I say I'm excited by it, I mean I'm really excited. So if I start to go a little long on any of these points, I'm going to rely on Kirby to give me a you know, courtesy little, let's wrap that one up. Um, you go on to your next point. <sighs> So today, uh, as you all know, we just started the new year, and a lot of people really use the new year to find, they, they take this time to say, like, let's, let's recreate ourselves, maybe get a new identity, figure out who I really am, start some stuff over. I don't really buy a lot of that stuff. I think a lot of that stuff is, is kind of a lot of junk, and I really wanted to take this opportunity, though, to say, we're going to figure out who you really are, but we're not recreating anything, or I'm actually going to talk to you guys about who you actually are, that who those of us who are in Christ, what is our identity really? What, what, is it, what does that really mean? At my old church, we talked about this a little bit, or a few of us did, and we called this name tag theology. Name tag theology. What does that mean? Well, uh, what, what's the importance of name tag? So Abigail, my wife, used to work at this place called Work Faith Connection. And one of the cool things about Work Faith Connection is that the second you step into the building to any event, they're going to give you one of those name tags to stick on your shirt so that everybody can know who you are, right? That does a couple things. One, it eliminates that awkward conversation with the person that you've talked to eight times, but you still don't remember their name. It gets rid of that. But then also there, there's some personality there. There's some um, interconnectedness. It is, it's like I know you one step further. And while names, you know, a lot of the time are just whatever our parents thought sounded cool or maybe something that's been handed down, it's who we are. It, it's, a, it's an integral part of our identity. It lets people know exactly who we are uh, so that we can get to a deeper level, maybe even a little bit quicker. Well, what I want to say today is that I think that each and every one of us walk into every single room with a name tag on, whether we know it or not. Some of them are name tags that we really want. Some of them are name tags that we really don't want. Some of us try to hide them. Some of us want to make it real big, right? You know, you got like six of them stacked up right here so you can write the one word really big. 
uh, Kirby. Um, <laughs> uh, but we, we all walk into rooms with name tags, and I want to say that there are probably three main places that we put our name tags. The first one's going to be right here. This is something that everyone is going to see. Now, I want to be clear, not everybody wants it to be seen, but it's something real big right here that's going to be seen really big. Uh, another place, maybe you're the cool person who puts their name tag right here on their pants, you know? Uh, it's not as easily seen. Again, that doesn't mean that it's bad. That doesn't mean that we don't want anybody to see it, but it's a little bit, you know, quieter. It's a little bit more hidden. Another place that I think some of us put our name tags is on the inside of our jacket right here to where only we can see it. But it's something that we open up our jacket and we check it out quite regularly and we see it all the time. And these name tags are how we are perceived or even how we want to be perceived, how we want to be identified. This is the identity that we have whenever we walk into a room. And so what, what does your name tag say? What are these name tags that you have on whenever you go into a room? A lot of yours might be positive. Maybe, uh, maybe you go in and you feel like, again, maybe it's something you have, maybe it's just something that other people see in you, uh, that you're, you're the cool guy in the room, that you are going to be the one that everybody talks to, really, uh, really talkative, really easy to get to know. Uh, maybe you're the best dressed right? Maybe even going along with those, again, maybe we don't, we don't intentionally write this, we don't like advertise it to the world, but whenever we walk into the room, maybe there's a perception like, oh, that's the wealthiest guy in the room. That's the wealthiest guy in the room. We know that. We can see it. It, it comes off by the way he carries himself. Uh, maybe uh, the prettiest girl in the room or the most handsome guy, or I don't know, what are some Southeast Texas ones, maybe the manliest guy who comes into the room, uh, best gumbo, most Cajun. That guy makes his own roux. We all, that's how we know him. He is the best at making gumbo, and he, he makes it better than anybody else. Um, and then, right, we have one's name tags that we have on whenever we come to church. Uh, the most Christian, the most Christian. I feel like I see that one all the time. Like, being Christian's not bad. I hope that I'm not communicating that. Uh, but some of us walk into a room, and that's just how we are identified. That's who we are. That's how people know us. And then, of course, there are a ton of negative ones, right? Uh, I'm the ugliest person in the room. I am the most unlovable person in the room, unlikable. There, there's no reason for anyone to really pay that much attention to me. Um, I'm not good at conversations. And I bet for a lot of us, the name tag that we have on, and this is probably one of those ones that we keep on the inside of our jacket is our biggest mistake. What's the worst thing you've ever done? And we like identify ourselves with that. And we walk around with the shame and guilt of whatever this, this thing is that we've done that really we feel like has marred the rest of our life. My own name tag story was, was, really, uh, was really helpful for me, and this may resonate with some of y'all. It may not be the exact same thing, but I really hope that mine will help some of y'all see how how these work. So my own name tag story is that whenever I, so I'll skip forward a little bit to high school. Whenever I was in high school, I developed this identity as the funny guy. I wanted to be the guy who made jokes. I wanted to make everyone laugh. I wanted to make sure that whenever I was talking to people, they knew that they were talking to a real jokester here. He was really good at this kind of stuff. I, I liked it. I didn't mind it. But what the problem with that is, it really, there are two things here. One is that P, I really got a reputation. People didn't really know if they could be serious with me ever. Uh, it felt like I was going to turn everything into a joke. 
somebody wanted to approach me, but yeah, Richard's just going to laugh about this, right? Uh, and then the other thing is, and maybe this one's a little bit, uh, probably equally as insidious, but more internal, is that whenever people wouldn't laugh at my jokes, that hurt. That, that felt like a knife straight to the heart. It, it was awful, and that's because funny guy was my identity. That's who I identified myself as. And so if I try to tell a joke and you don't laugh, oh, who am I? I'm not the funny guy. Now I have nothing. I have nothing because... That's all that I know myself as. So then we go a little bit uh, further into life, and uh, probably because of those two reasons, I realized that funny guy maybe is not the only identity that I should have. Um, and again, this stuff is probably not all conscious. It's probably all subconscious stuff going on. But at some point, I developed this second identity of smart guy. That's what I wanted to be. Whenever it wasn't appropriate to be funny guy, now smart guy was my thing. So I wanted to be the guy who you go into the room and talk about anything, anything you want to talk about, except sports. I can't talk about sports. But anything else, um, and I will, I will you know, uh, impress you with my vast knowledge. Of course, this is what I thought. I was uh, obviously not completely um, knowledgeable on every subject in the world. And so the exact same thing would happen, right? I would go into a room and I would try to be the smart guy and either that just wasn't received well, hey, we're not looking for some know-it-all in this conversation here, or I didn't actually know as much as I thought that I knew and or people were just talking about stuff that I actually didn't know about. And uh, now who am I? I can't be funny around these people. I can't be smart around them. I have no identity anymore. And so God takes me on this long journey um, that, that comes through prophecies given to me, that comes through a dream that I received, just words from the Lord, and him just constantly speaking on, into me and working in me. And I, I learn more and more about what it is to be Richard and what it is to be like that. And at some point, I'm going through this practice with a pastor of mine who was also a very close friend. And we're talking about these identities. We didn't use name tags, but we used some other language and... He was asking me, what are, some, what are some ways that you want to be identified when you go into a room? And I ta talked to him about funny guy and smart guy. And okay, that's who I really want to be and all this sort of stuff. And he, he presses on that. And he says, I don't know if that's quite what it is. I'm like, what do you mean? Of course, I, I figured all this out. You don't have to tell me. Uh, I know myself. But he's like, think about this. And as we talked, what I realized was that underneath my name tag, funny guy and smart guy. So again, pretend I have a little name tag I've stuck on here. It says funny and smart guy. Cool, we've got that one. I go to rip that one off finally, like I'm giving it up to the Lord. Okay, God, I'm asking you to make me who you are. I'm ripping that name tag off. And what's underneath there is another name tag that I didn't even realize that I'd covered over that said insecure, that said unlikable, said unlovable, and it said lonely. And that was actually how I identified myself. This whole funny smart guy thing was just the way that I covered it up. That was just the way that I pretended that I, I didn't feel insecure or pretended that I didn't feel really lonely. I pretended by covering up and making everybody laugh and making everybody think that I was smart. And it wasn't until I dealt with this root issue that I believed that I was unlikable. That I believed that whenever I walked into the room, there was no way that you were going to like me. Until I dealt with that root issue, I was never able to find freedom. But as soon as I did, oh my gosh, as God started to pour into me his love for me and the fact that he loves me exactly the way he created me, and I can be whoever I want to be because that is who God has made me to be. 
uh, that that was whenever I was really able to heal and really able to put on some more godly name tags. I was able to identify myself the way that God identified me. Now, am I saying that being funny is bad? No, not saying that being funny is bad. Am I saying that being smart is bad? I really hope not. I don't want to be dumb. What I'm saying, though, is that those things mattered more to me than what God called me, than the way that God identified me and the way that God created me. And so because I had these, these name tags on that mattered so much more to me than any sort of God-given identity that I actually had, I was, um, I, I was not full of life in the Lord because I was not living out the life that he wanted me to live. And so... Dealing with these name tags, taking off the bad ones, putting on the ones that God gives us is an important part of discovering who you really are and finding true and complete life in the Lord. And so today I want to talk about some ways that God can remove name tags from us, can change us, can help us learn our true identity. And uh, I want to give you some scriptures behind those. And today we're going to talk about three different ways that God can change your identity and three different ways that God does change your identity. So those first three are ways that maybe not everybody will experience, but for those of us who are in Christ, a lot of us will experience at least one of these. And the next three that I'm going to give are true of every single person who has put their faith in Jesus. That there are ways that God changes the identity of every single person who calls on the name of Jesus as Lord. And so these first three that I have uh, are the ways that God can change our identity. These are not all of them. These are not all the things that are possible, but these are just three that I think are pretty common that I've seen a whole lot. And the whole point is that we be open to the idea of God changing us in this way, not that God definitely will change every single one of us. Um, I, I, whenever I was thinking about this, I thought about the rich young ruler, right? Jesus comes to him and says, give away all your money, and he walks away sad because he doesn't want to do that. Uh, this isn't God calling each and every one of us to uh, sell all of our possessions and go into poverty, but it does teach us that we absolutely do need to be open to the idea of God calling us to do whatever it is that he wants us to do. So these first three are three ways that God can change our identity. And the first one goes really closely with these name tags. Uh, change the way that we see ourselves or the way that we see others. The way that we see ourselves or the way that, sorry, or the way that others see us. Uh, so, right, right, our identity whenever we walk into a room. And whenever I was thinking through this, Zacchaeus was the first one to come to mind. I'm not going to read through the whole story, but for those of y'all who don't know, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collectors weren't really liked that much because they would steal, right? They would go in and they were supposed to collect uh, what, uh, $2 and they collected 5 and they would line their pockets with that other 3 And that's how tax collectors were known and that's how Zacchaeus was known. That's how he saw himself. He did his job in exactly that way because that's a, he identified himself as a thief, as somebody who would line his pockets with the money that he stole from others. And Jesus comes up to him and calls him to him. And Zacchaeus says that he's going to return everything that he has stolen uh, and maybe even more, maybe even more than that. And what happens there is Zacchaeus re-identifies himself from being a lying cheat to being an honest man, to someone who does his job well. Now, do we get any indication, and y'all don't have the story in front of you, so you probably don't know this, but do we get any indication that Zacchaeus stopped being a tax collector? No, no, we don't. Uh, for all we know, 
He continued to collect taxes, but he continued to collect taxes as an honest man. And so what Jesus did in calling him, he changed the way that he saw himself. I no longer feel like I need to steal from people in order to provide. I believe that God can do that for me. And he changed the way that other people saw him. Changed the way that other people saw him. And so uh, what, what are some of the places in your life? What are some of those name tags that you have that you need God to take those off of you? so that you can change the way you identify yourself or change the way that other people see you. I hope that none of you in here are stealing from people regularly, but if that's the case, I'll tell you that's one of those name tags you probably want to take off. But there are also ones that feel a lot less insidious on the, on the surface, but really inside tear us down and tear us apart equally as much. Uh, these things like insecurity, these things like feeling like we are unlovable. What are those things that we need to say, God, please change the way I see myself in this so that I can also, uh, so that you can also change the way that other people see me. And so the first way is uh, changing the way that you see yourself or that people see you. The second way that God can change us uh, could be by changing our career. And the one that comes to mind whenever I think of this is whenever Jesus calls the disciples, uh, some of his first disciples, they're fishing on a boat. He tells them to throw the net over and they get so many fish, they think their net's going to break. And then he tells them, I'm going to make you fishers of men meaning you're not going to be fishermen anymore. You are going to come and you're going to preach the gospel with me. You're going to be some of my followers. You're, this is what your life is going to be all about. As I was praying through this story, I realized I, I, that there was a new thing that popped out to me, and that's that these fishers just had the best day of their career. The absolute most successful uh, happiest day of their entire fishing career. They were on a high. This was the epitome of what it meant to be a fisher. We pulled in so many fish in one throw that we thought that our nets were going to break. God doesn't just call us to change our careers whenever things are going poorly or whenever our coworkers start to get on our nerves or whenever our businesses are about to fail. God calls us to change our careers because he wants to lead us into what it is that he is calling us to do. Just like being a tax collector uh, on the surface, being a fisherman is not bad. It's not inherently sinful. I think that we probably all know some fishermen who are a little sinful, but being a fisherman just on its own is not a sinful thing to do. But Jesus said, I have something different for you to do. And he changed their entire life, their entire life trajectory. And so I'm not telling everyone in here on Monday or uh, later today or whatever to go quit their jobs, but I'm saying that we need to be open to the fact that God could be calling us to take a very hard step to leave a very successful career even to do something different. Uh, my own story, I, uh, for uh, most of my high school career at least, I thought that I was going to own or work at a recording studio. I thought I was going to do that. And whenever I became a Christian, God slowly but uh, very surely changed my heart to show me that that's not where I'm going to find any satisfaction. And for me, it wasn't this thing where I was just dying to still go work in a, a recording studio, but he took that away from me and he said, you're not allowed to and don't you ever step foot in there. But it was this thing where God slowly changed my heart and showed me that this is not what you're going to be happy doing. To where, I mean, after just a year or so, it, it didn't really feel like that's what I wanted to do at all. 
And so I don't think that God, I mean, for a lot of you, for some of you, it might, he might have to take you kicking and screaming, but that's not necessarily what it's going to be. Um, it's being open to God, changing our heart and changing what it is that he is calling us to do. So God could change the way that we see ourselves. God could change our career. Uh, another thing that God could change about our identity is our relationships with other people around us, the people that we see and the way that we see one another, the way that people see us, um, which I know sounds a lot like the first one, but I'm talking about more interpersonal relationships, these, uh, these people that we're close to. And whenever I was thinking about this, the story of Philemon and Onesimus came to my mind. Now, I don't know how many of y'all know the book of Philemon very well. It's a very short book, the shortest book in the New Testament. It has got to be one of my favorites, if not my favorite. A lot of people will just skip right past it, or maybe they read it one day just to be able to say like, man, I read a whole book of the Bible today. It's, it's an incredible story about a man named Onesimus who was a slave, and his slave owner was this guy named Philemon, who is the leader of a church. Now, Philemon doesn't seem to have been a very good slave owner, and Onesimus stole, see, it seems that Onesimus t took some stuff from Philemon, ran away, ran into Paul, became a Christian because Paul saw him for all that he is as a child of God and preached the gospel to him and he became a Christian. And then he says, you are going to go back to your slave owner with nothing more than Jesus in your heart and this letter in your hand from me. Now, first century slavery was much different than what we saw in colonial America but it still wasn't good. And being a runaway slave was not exactly something that you wanted to be caught as. Uh, going back to your slave owner is not something that you, you were just going to willingly go do. You could get into a lot of trouble or even lose your life for having run away. But he goes back and the only thing, the only thing that is different about Onesimus is that he has Jesus in his heart. And he hands this letter to Philemon where Paul calls him and says, I want you to receive him no longer as just a slave, but as a brother. No longer as just a slave, but as a brother. Now, Paul drops some really strong hints that he wants him to free him from slavery. He says very explicitly, I don't want to force you to do anything. I want you to do this on your own. I don't want you to feel like I forced you to. But what Paul does command him to do is to no longer treat him as just a slave, but to treat him as a brother because God changes our relationships with one another. They no longer were uh, this antagonistic slave, slave master, uh, butting up against each other. Hey, you stole from me. Hey, you treated me poorly. But now they were brothers. They were brothers in the Lord. And so what are those relationships in your life that need to be fixed? There are probably people in your, li in your life who have wronged you in a real big way, right? Uh, Onesimus was not, uh, he stole from Philemon. Philemon was not a very good person to Onesimus to make him want to run away in the first place. These people had real beef with one another, just like we have real arguments and real hatred and real anger towards the people around us. I know we say that we're Christians and we're not supposed to hate, but it happens. It happens. We get angry at people. Who are the people that we need to reconcile with? Jesus makes it very clear that it is important for us to reconcile with one another, especially brothers and sisters in the Lord. On the other end, though, there could very well be people in your life that you need to let go of, that you need to cut yourself off from, 
There could very well be people in your life that are uh, maybe reminding you of who you used to be. Maybe they're the reason that name tag that you don't really like is still there because they keep telling you about it. Maybe they are um, uh, helping you (laughs) fall back into old sin patterns that you have worked really hard to get rid of. There are probably some people in your life that uh, need to be cut off. Who are those people? Are we open to allowing God to change those relationships in our life? And then family members, I'm talking about blood family. I have, there are people in my family who because of one argument spent 10 years not talking to one another. It happens all the time. It is not, it is not an odd occurrence. But who are the people in your family that you need to reconcile with, that you need to forgive? Um, people usually don't deserve forgiveness. Uh, we didn't, we for sure didn't. Um, but Jesus doesn't just call us to forgive those who deserve it. So, Those are the three ways that God can change our identity by changing the way that people see us, by uh, changing our career, or by changing relationships that we have. These are three ways that God can change our identity. But then I have three other ways that God does change the identity of every single person who calls on the name of Jesus. And I could go with some of the simple things like the fact that you're loved or a child of God. And those things are really, 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 really important. And if this actually is the first time that you've ever heard that you're loved by somebody or that you're a child of God, then please, please go talk to an elder. Go talk to one of the staff members here. You can come talk to me if you want, but man, that is such an incredible gift that we've been given sonship and uh, being daughters of God. If this is the first time you've heard that, please go talk to somebody. But If it's okay with you, I'm going to go on a couple that I wouldn't say are deeper or less fundamental, um, but but maybe maybe, um, uh, I'm going to say the word deeper, even though I just said I wouldn't, but maybe a little bit deeper than than those. And um, and I I have a scripture for each of these. And so my first one is that we are all new creations. So this comes from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. The old has passed away and the new has come. This is a very vivid picture of Jesus ripping those old name tags off of your shirt. These things that you don't want to be identified as, these things that you've lived your life by, the way that you have walked into a room and identified yourself for your entire life, Jesus rips those things off. He, he says that you are no longer who you used to be. You are a new creation in Christ. What is the worst thing that you've ever done? It's wiped away. It is cleaned by Jesus. It is no longer who you are. I don't care what it is. Again, Abigail used to work with um, people who were looking, looking for jobs. That's what her old job was all about. And a huge percentage of the people that they worked with were fresh out of prison. <laughs> Now, talk about some people who got some bad name tags. These are people who, they, whenever they are going to apply for a job, one of the first things they have to do is tell their employer their worst, the worst thing that they've ever done. Uh, I hope that not many of y'all have been to prison, but uh, just imagine the, the, your worst mistake, the thing that you are most regretful of in your life. Now imagine you have to put that on your resume every single time you apply for a job. And so what they taught these people was that you are not who you used to be. 
that Jesus wiped that away, that you are a new creation in Christ and that you are no longer defined by the mistakes of your past. And so the first thing that God does to change your identity is he makes us a new creation. He rips those old name tags off. And so then what's the new name tag that he gives us? What is, what is, what is our new identity? So this comes from Galatians 2.20. Hopefully a lot of y'all have heard this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to really focus on those first couple of sentences in there. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. This is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible, that we are no longer identified as who we used to be, but actually the name tag, the very first name tag that he gives us is Jesus. That we get to say, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That we actually get to put the name tag Jesus on uh, because that is who we represent. That is who Paul tells us that we are. I don't know if any of y'all have ever tried to use this line as a prayer. Whenever I'm feeling really depressed, really down, uh, having a hard time loving myself, I take this line and I put my name in there. It is no longer Richard who lives, but Christ who lives in him. Because that reminds me of the fact that these things that I do, this life that I now live in the flesh, that that is not who I'm defined by. We're still going to mess up. We're still going to have problems. But that is not who defines us. We don't have to go about the rest of our week or the rest of our month or the rest of our life feeling like this mistake that we made is what defines us or who we are or what has to tear us down. But that actually we get to say that we are in Christ. We are a new creation. We have our old name tags ripped off. And the new name tag that we've been given is that we are in Christ. We, we, the first one that we get is that we can say Jesus is who defines us. Jesus is who we are. We, uh, we get to represent him to this world. Now, that comes with a lot of implications uh, this is by far not the only one, but the third one that I'm going to give is one of these implications, and that's that we are seated above. Seated above. What does that mean? I got a couple of scriptures here that are going to talk about this. First one's from Ephesians 1, and it says that he, so that's Jesus, sorry, uh, that he, he's God, worked in Christ. There's some sentences before that that are important, but not for right now. Um, in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, so when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him, Jesus, at the right hand in the heavenly places. So God is seated in heaven at the right hand. That's called the power seat, is seated Jesus. That's where Jesus is seated. And what does that mean? That he is seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. I don't know if uh, there are any names that aren't uh, encapsulated in all of those, but, but I'm pretty sure that means everything. Everything. That Jesus is above everything. Now, this is about Jesus. So you might be asking, why am I, why am I talking about Jesus? I thought we we're talking about our identity. That's because Paul goes on later in Ephesians 2 to say that even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in Jesus, in Christ. That being in Christ actually means that we have too been seated at the right hand of the Father above all rule, power, and authority. Uh, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm stronger than the president of the United States? 
or that I'm stronger than every single world leader? Well, uh, I think that what he's talking about, so absolutely that we have, we, we have, we have measures of authority in Christ uh, that extend so far beyond what our eyes can see. Uh, but the part of this that I really want to draw out is something that I think a lot of people ignore, especially in the United States, and that's the spiritual reality that is attached to this. Uh, Maybe not exclusively, but at least one of the primary things that Paul is trying to say is the powers and forces that kept us down before we were believers no longer have authority over us. People in America don't like to talk about things like demons or the devil, but there are real powerful forces in this world that for those of us who are not in Christ can actually exercise real authority over us that have power to tell us, uh, try to tell us who we are. Um, And what happens is even those who are in Christ can still succumb to those voices. Uh, Every single day we come up against these attacks. And I know that probably y'all are thinking that I'm talking about the exorcist, but no, I'm talking about whenever you are sitting at work feeling like you're a piece of junk who, uh, who doesn't matter. Or whenever you just got into a fight with your spouse and you feel so bad and you feel like there's no reason that your spouse should stay with you and that you should just leave. Uh, that this, the, the, the depression and the anxiety and the hurt that comes along with every single day in our lives, that those are things that the demonic tries to take authority in our lives. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, no, I'm not saying that they can come in and they can control you, but they can absolutely speak lies into you, and lies can have real power if we let them. And so whenever I say that we are seated above, what I want to really communicate is these things that come up against you every single day. We have the power to say no. We have the power to say no. We have the power to say that, no, I am a new creation, that the life that I now live is defined by Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in us. I am seated above you. And whatever you tell me that I am worthless or that, uh, that, I, that nobody's going to like me, I can say no. I believe that God loves me. I believe that I have immense value in this world because that is who God has made me to be. That is what God has designed me to be and do. And so there, there are real powers in this world that can absolutely come against you. But you have a real, very real, and much stronger power, and that is Christ inside of us, to be able to say, no, that is not who I've been defined as. I've been called loved, I've been called cared for, and I've been called important, each and every one of us who are in Christ. Which does bring me to my last point, which is that, which I'm going to go back to the first verse that I had. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't hit on this before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Um, this is what we call in language an if-then statement, right? There's an if at the beginning and a then at the end. If the if part of the statement is not true, then nothing after that is true. Um, uh, that, that all of these things that I've said are for those who are in Christ. Uh, that, they, that those who have placed their faith in Jesus, those who have called on him as Lord, those who have said, I give you everything in my life and I trust you to do whatever it is that you want with it, that that's the key to unlocking these promises. That's the key to unlocking these new identities. That these name tags don't get ripped off just because we want them to, but they get ripped off because we have submitted ourselves to Jesus and he did it for us. We don't get our new identities just because we want to but because Jesus is the one who gives it to us. 
And what's so awesome is like that, that's not, that's not, it's not a hard thing to be able to uh, enter into that relationship with him. It is, it is not hard. It is something that can happen in a moment. It is something that can happen at any age. And it is something that will absolutely change your life. And so uh, for a lot of us in here, I hope that a lot of you have, have that faith in Jesus and a lot of you online have that faith in Jesus and, and are just here to say, this is actually who I am in Jesus and that's what we want to take from this. But for anyone who's not, anyone who's not, uh, this is something that is open and available for every single person. I promise you, I can share some scary stories uh, from, from, from lots of people's past that are probably way worse than yours. Uh, and Jesus loves them and has redeemed those people. He can redeem you too. He can redeem each and every one of us. So um, I'm going to pray. And we're going to end. Uh, just a reminder that there is a video at the end. So don't hop up uh, as soon as I'm done. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to watch that. But I'm going to pray. Um, and again, regardless of if you've been a believer for a very long time, uh, been at church for a very long time, uh, never heard the gospel before, um, let's all just take some time to say, God, I give you all of who I am, every single bit of it. And I trust you to do what it is that you want to do with me. So uh, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the fact that you call us a new creation and that you give us a new name. Uh, God, there are, there are people in this world who want to call us all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, people who want to tear us down. People who want to convince us that we don't matter, that we're not loved. Uh, bosses who don't appreciate us. Spouses who are supposed to love us who maybe don't do the greatest job. Um children who, who, who we want to um, care for and provide for, but who uh, want to turn away from us. God, there are so many ways that this world tries to tear us down. Um, so many ways that we even try to tear ourselves down. But Jesus, we trust you completely and totally and with all of our lives. And we ask you to please uh, change that inside of us. Please change that inside of us. Show us that we have the power to say no to these voices that are uh, trying to tear us down. And for those of us who uh, have never made this commitment, who have never done that, God, I pray that right now you would open their hearts to see that uh, you're right there waiting for them. And that all it takes is to say, uh, God, I give you my entire life and I ask you to come into it now. Father, we thank you so much that that promise is available to all of us, and we, uh, we worship you and we praise you. Uh, I pray for Carpenter's Way, God, that especially as they search for a new pastor, Lord, I pray for uh, provision and uh, guidance for everybody, um, and uh, that the kingdom of God does not stop with the changing of leadership, and that there would still be this fervency to move in, the, in this city. So we thank you so much, and it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.